coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 17th of April, 2022. Abraham and me. I don't know if you like, like suspenseful books, novels, Agatha Christie and the like, where you try and figure out who done it and what happened. And then somebody comes along and says, the butler did it. You know, and you go, oh, no. Well, we're sort of in the same sort of situation on Resurrection Sunday morning. They say, well, what, what is this story about? And then the answer on Resurrection Sunday is, Jesus rose from the dead. And you go, well, now that I know that, can we just go home? You know, what, what, was, the, what was all that led up to this? How, how did this come about? Why is this significant? And uh, this morning, I'm going to take you in a different direction than I don't think I've ever taken our, our church family on Resurrection Sunday morning. And... And you're probably going to go, yes, but it's Roman, so what can we say? Uh, I wanted to uh, sort of paint the back picture of the significance of the resurrection by talking about Abraham. And you go, I don't see the connection. I go, glad that's why we have this time together. I'm going to help draw that connection together. So turn with me to Romans chapter 4, if you would. Romans chapter 4. And we can go down through this section and tear it all apart. I'm going to touch on some points as we go. And, and uh, rather than go into great depth, because I think that painting the picture is good. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity in Southern California to visit Forest Lawn. I mean, when people say, you ought to go to Southern California and you ought to visit Forest Lawn, you go, well, what is Forest Lawn? Forest Lawn is a cemetery. Why in the world would you go to Forest Lawn in Southern California? With all the things you could see and do in Southern California, you want to go to a cemetery? I tell you, that's pretty down low on my list of places to go. But Forest Lawn is known for a couple of things. One of them is uh, they have the Last Supper in stained glass. Mm -hmm. And you go into this chapel, and of course it's pointed to the east, and they, they do the showings in, in the morning. And you're in there, and it's got the curtain, and they pull it back. And the sunlight comes through that stained glass, and the thing just lights up, and you go, wow, that's impressive. But that's not what, even though as good as that is, that's not why people go to Forest Lawn. There's statues around through the rest of the grounds, but they actually built an auditorium, especially for a painting. And this painting is huge. I mean, it's like... I don't know, 20 feet tall, 
and I can't tell you how wide it is, but it's like cinemascope. And what they do is they pull back the cover and there you see a scene. And over here is Jerusalem and over here is Mount Calvary. And here's roads leading in to Jerusalem and you get that whole big picture. And then they spend the next half hour putting the spotlights on different parts of the picture and highlighting them. It's really very impressive. What we like to do today is sort of paint the picture. The focus is still Jesus Christ and the crucifixion and the resurrection. But what led up to this and why is it significant to us? Why do Christians focus on this other than it's a historical happening? And so I would like to take a few moments here in Romans chapter 4. Paul is writing to the church at Rome. He was later to visit the church at Rome. And he's expounding on Abraham. Well, for the Jew, we say we hardly have to even talk about who Abraham is, the founding, the father of the Jewish nation. And uh, we know a little bit, he was pulled out of Ur of the Chaldees. God said, I'll go to a land that I'll show you. And then he gave him the promised land and told him to settle it, said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And we just summarized all the life of Abraham in a few moments. But there was one sort of hitch in that whole thing, and that was Abraham, who was known by Abram at first, had a wife, Sarai, who they wanted to have kids, and God says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And they had no kids. And they had no kids. And they had no kids. And God comes along and he says, you know my promise to you that I was going to make of you a great nation? Well, I'm going to double down and, and call you Abraham, the father of nations. Nations? And they had no kid. And they had no kid. And they have no kid. And we come to Romans chapter 4 and Paul pulls up Abraham in this whole epistle about God's provision of salvation and deliverance and spends this whole chapter talking about Abraham. And you go, why? Abraham's issue was God had promised to make of him a great nation and they had no kids. What has that got to do with me now, thousands of years, literally, after Abraham, Paul was writing, and now we have a couple thousand of years since the writing to us, and we go, why is this even a thing? Well, I want to pull out a couple points, and I call this Abraham and me. And we're going to walk down concurrent paths and show the connection between 
what Abraham faced and how he dealt with it and what God did and compare that with our situation, our path, what we're faced with, how we should respond, and what God did on our behalf. So first of all, we'll talk about our efforts. The efforts on, on uh, Abram's part and, and Sarah was to have kids. Now, it doesn't go into any of those kind of details about whether they had sexual relationship, because it's unnecessary. Of course they did. They were trying to have kids. And so on Abraham's part, there was a lot of effort in an attempt to have kids. We want to have kids, at least one, but we want to have children. And after his promise to be made a father of nations, how do you have a large nation full of people if you don't have even one? And so then we come to us. How does that correspond to us? Well, he makes a point. And he says this in verse 13, 14, and 15. For the promise of Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but there is no law there is when there is no transgression. And you go, I don't get the point. I don't get the connection. He says, what was Abraham trying to do? He says he was trying to have kids. And he had no kids. Do you think he did everything that he could to have kids? Absolutely. What do we do today? I mean, we've pushed that to the extreme, haven't we? You know, we'll have in vitro fertilization. We'll have all the kinds of things in order to have kids. And I'm not downplaying that. I realized the pain and the agony, but it was certainly felt by Adam. I mean, by Abraham and Sarah. They tried to have kids. Couldn't have kids. What about us, though? We're not talking about kids. We're talking about how, in this context, how does a person have our, a right relationship with God? How do we do that? And as much as Abraham and Sarah attempted to have children, we attempt to live a godly life. We try and do in our own efforts whatever we can do. I think it's interesting in this passage, he's, he talks about uh, his becoming heir of the world did not come through the law because the law hadn't even been given at the time of Abraham. It didn't come around until the time of Moses. So there was no such thing as them doing particular works, but he makes a point. And that point is, whatever we can try and do to do the right thing is always going to come up short. Just as Abraham was trying to have kids and trying the best they have to have those kids, God comes along and says, whatever you try and do, whether it's, it's saying, well, you just got to keep the Ten Commandments. If you just live a righteous life, do the, the best 
You'll be right with God. And God goes, it can't happen. It doesn't happen. Trying to live a good life isn't going to cut it. He says the promise for Abraham and the promise for us is fulfilled through the promise of God, not through the efforts of man. So our efforts to live a good life cannot accomplish that. And you say, well, well, I know I live a pretty good life. And we're back to the illustration of the weakest link, link of a chain. You may have a real strong chain, but if you have a weak link and you're hanging on by that chain, that one link goes out. All the merits you have of the good strong links doesn't cut it. In other words, you gotta be perfect. That chain has to be perfectly hold, hold in order to hold you up. And that's the problem with trying to keep the law. Trying to attempt to keep the law, to, to live a good life in the light of God, holy standard of perfection, is always going to point out the fact that we have failure. That we are always going to fail. We will never measure up to God's holy standard. So that brings us to our condition, Abraham's condition and our condition. Abraham's condition was one of hopelessness. Listen to what it says in verse 19. It says, and he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. If you had said to Abraham and Sarah, when Abraham was almost a hundred years old and Sarah was 90, and you would say, well, sir, what are the odds of having kids now? And there we go. I mean, that ship has sailed. That time has passed. It is a hopeless situation now. We're not going to have any kids. It's a hopeless thing. We're as good as dead when it comes to producing kids. And what's the parallel to the path that we're on? If we rightly understand that trying to live a good life will never merit anything in God's eyes. Then we come to realize that our condition is the same. I've given you Ephesians here. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and this is what he says. Now he's writing to believers, those who already put their hope and trust in God, but listen to what he says about their condition before God's provision. And you were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, Paul included, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body 
and mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We all are in the same boat. Apart from God's provision, we're dead spiritually. Hopeless situation. I preached a message once on this passage when, uh, of course, we've had TV shows about the walking dead zombies and everything. And I said, we live among zombies. We live among zombies because what scripture describes is people who seem to be healthy and good, but spiritually they're dead. And Paul says, and so were we all. We were all in the same condition, dead and hopeless. So what was the promise then that was made to Abraham? Well, we've already alluded to it. And that was that he was going to have children. God had said, you're going to be a dad. And you're going to have, not only that, you're going to be the father of the nations. You're going to have children. And that's the way it's going to be. And we read it in Genesis 17, that promise. In Genesis 17, where we go to look for the historical account of the life of Abraham, we read these verses. Abraham has fallen on his face before God, and God says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. What was his condition? His condition was still hopeless, though. God had made all sorts of promises to him, but in his own efforts, he hadn't had any kids. Likewise, when we attempt to live a godly, holy life, we'll fail and fail and fail again. And when God's standard of perfection is held up against it, we come way short. Our condition is hopeless. And if our own efforts won't get us there, what do we need? Well, the promise to Abraham was the promise from God to him, I am going to make you a father of nations. What's his promise to us? We can see it in lots of passages in God's word. I'll just pick one here just so that I'm not speaking, but God is speaking on our behalf. In verses 12 through 14 of John, the first chapter, he says, he came unto his own and his own received him not. He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, God makes a promise of eternal life to all who believe not to all who try and live a perfect life. Because what does that get you? The same place it got Abraham. We're dead 
spiritually before God as they were in trying to have a kid, they were, it was a hopeless situation. So Abraham is promised a promise of many nations and we're a promise, you and me, we're promised eternal life. And that's a provision, a promise of God. What needs to be our response then? And we see what we're to do with a promise. In verse 22, coming back to Romans chapter 5, we read what is, is said here. Wrong verse. Let's see. Uh, okay, here we go. He believed God. He says that is why his faith was counted to him in verse 22 as righteousness. His faith was counted as righteousness. It wasn't God made a promise and Abraham took it and ran with it. Says yes. What you say is true and I accept it. I cling to it. I depend on it. All my eggs are in this basket. In fact, it says so much about Abraham's response that it says this back in verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he's been told, so shall your offspring spring be. And he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was good as dead. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now you go, well, wait a minute. Wow. What was Abraham's response to the promise of God? He says he could have responded normally. What would have been the normal response? You made a promise. I'm still without kids. You made a promise. I'm still without kids. You made a promise, and we could go on and on and on, year after year, decade after decade. We're still without kids. But what does it say? It did not weaken his faith, even though he saw the situation. And to, if you didn't appropriate that truth by faith, if you didn't put your trust in that promise, Abraham would have said, I'll just give up on this. This isn't working. But it doesn't say that. He said, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He says, God... You are a great God. You're worth 
all the faith that I put into you. And if you make a promise, you're going to hold to it. And you go, wow. In light of the evidence, <laughs> no kids, how in the world can you hold onto something that you can't see? He says, because it isn't on what I see. It is on who promised. And God made the promise. And I cling to that. What about me? That's Abraham. What about me? He says, do I believe? Do I hold fast in belief and faith? to what God has said. I gave you one cross-reference. It's, it's one of those terrible things because the whole of Scripture is geared towards this moment in history. And so we could go in myriad directions. I'm just going to give you one. 1 Corinthians 15, a, pas a passage about, are you ready for this? Resurrection. <laughs> and this is what Paul is writing to now the church at Corinth. And he says, And I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. In other words, I shared this with you, and you took it as your own, just like Abraham took the promise. He says, You have taken this good news about what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf going to the cross, paying the penalty for your sin, dying, being buried, being raised by the power of God, victorious over death. Your sins are paid for on the cross. Your wages of death were meted out on him. You took that by faith. This is what he says. He says, I preach to you which you received and which you stand by which you being saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So the call on our life is a promise of God to give us life if we appropriate it by faith. If we say yes. And you can say, well, how many people who call themselves followers of Christ, what evidence do they have? And you can say, well, we sing this song, uh, He Lives, He Lives, I Know He Lives Today. Walks with me, talks with me. I know, lives within my heart, I know. We go, well, no. And you go, Pastor, what are you talking about? You're making up stories now, aren't you? I go, no. The promise of eternal life will be discovered when? When we move into eternity. Right? Now, I'm not negating the fact that God has promised to put within us the Holy Spirit and 
to empower us and to guide us and lead us. But the real proof of the pudding is when somebody passes away and is in the glory. How many have seen that? Uh-huh. What did Abraham have to do? Abraham went and he goes, the conditions don't look good. The situation, it's not promising. Sarah is way past childbearing. And this whole thing seems pretty hopeless. He says, but, there's a big but there. God made a promise. God makes a provision. Do I trust him? Do I trust him? Even though it seems senseless, do I trust him? It says, so what is God's gift to us? Well, one is, is easier to show than another. In Romans chapter 5, this Romans chapter 4, in which we're looking at, we, we hear about the promise that God makes to Abraham. He says that I'm going to make of you a great nation. And Abraham looks and goes, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. But he didn't grit his teeth. What does it say? He gives glory instead. Do you know about my God? He's a great God. He makes promises. He makes provision. And though I haven't experienced it yet, I believe him when he says he's going to make of me a great nation. So we come back to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 4, excuse me, in verse 18, it says, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. All we have to do is look back in history now, and we say, did God come through with this promise? The answer is, he certainly did. And the whole of the Old Testament is the story of the fulfillment of the promise of God to make from Abraham great nations. So we go, that was God's gift. It was a fulfillment of of his promise. What about me? So far, we've walked in parallel here. Our efforts have proved fruitless. Our condition, hopeless. God's promise is great and mighty. Our response, well, that's where we find ourselves, do I believe him? Abraham and 
what Paul is sharing here with the church in Rome. It says, we know what God did with that one promise. Abraham got exactly what God promised him. So how about you and me? What's the promise that he made to us? Eternal life. As Abraham received life, as God promised, we get life. And I want to direct your attention to this first passage that really talks about resurrection in our whole study on the day of resurrection. Verses 23 through 25. But the words, it was counted to him for righteousness is the previous passage. The words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours, ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. He says, this whole story of Abraham wasn't just to entertain you with a story from history. It was to make a point. There was a effort on the part of Abraham. There was a condition that was hopeless. There was a promise that was made. He, he entered in by faith. That was his response. And what was God's gift? Life. So what about us? We walk down the same road. What is our, what is our effort? We try and live a holy life. We can't do it. Can't pull it off. What is our condition then? It's hopeless. What is the God's promise? Eternal life. That's his promise to us. What is our response? Do we enter in by faith like Abraham? And you go, well, I don't know. And the reason that I believe Abraham was picked as an illustration was because of the vast hopelessness of the condition that he found himself in so that God can make a point. It says, as bad as it looks, you put your trust in me, you have everlasting life. As Paul writes here, when it says it was counted to him for righteousness, he says this that statement wasn't just made for Abraham alone. It was made for us as well. It will be counted for us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses. Ah, that is the provision that God made to deal with the sin question in our life, our hopeless condition that we couldn't ever accomplish in our own strength and in our own effort, God had to intervene with a divine provision, just like he did for Abraham. And he promised through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our salvation. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised on account of of our justification. Justification is a powerful word here because it is 
that notion that we are adjudicated right. If our problem is one of sin, and sin, according to Scripture, always pays the penalty, and the penalty is always death, how can we be sure that Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection fulfilled and accomplished that task. And scripture tells us he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised in sort of, in, in uh, raised for our justification. In other words, so that we could be declared right. Have we experienced eternal life? Well, we've entered in, but we haven't really put it to the test yet. You say, well, <laughs> is it going to happen? Do we know? And that's why I believe this passage is so important to us on this resurrection day, because Abraham was in a hopeless situation. It seemed like it, it was not... It was beyond improbable. It moved to impossible. And the only thing that Abraham had to cling to was the provision and the promise of God. And he did and gave glory to God. So what should we do? If our situation is parallel to Abraham and we come to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he says, all who believe have everlasting life. What do we need to do? Known belief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. So the question is, where's our faith? We are unwavering like Abram, who then became Abraham, still without kids, then became, in everybody's eyes, dead, impossible to have kids. And what did he do? He says, we're going to chuck this whole thing. I don't think God's going to come through. No, he said just the opposite. He says it grew stronger and stronger. Why? Because he had confidence in the living God and he gave glory to God what do we do have we we see eternity out there do we believe it do we believe that God really has saved us from our sins I mean what's the transaction there it's hard to get your hands on isn't it He says, be unwavering in your faith and give glory to God and let your faith grow and strengthen. And one day, as Abraham experienced God's provision, we will too. So what's the story of the death, burial, and resurrection? A message a message of deliverance from sin, a message of promise of eternal life.
He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Heavenly Father, we come to you offering up our feeble words of praise and adoration. We give glory to you in your gracious, merciful provision, willing to sacrifice your son so that we could experience eternal life. And we take it by faith that this provision was adequate for our sin and that on top of that, you would heap upon us the, the phrase that we are now children of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. How great you are. And we give thanks on this Resurrection Sunday morning celebration. In Jesus' name.